Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Greetings, greetings! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, here we are at the uh, the world famous NHC 2010 Minneapolis. Yes, one of my one of my favorite locations. <laughs> where where there where there's beer? Is that your favorite? And, and walleye, yes. And walleye, that's true. <laughs> so the other night, John's like, "Well, you know, I, I got to have my walleye. Is there a good place to have walleye around here?" Everyone were walking. He's like. So, uh, you seen any walleye around here? Right? Those are go walleye legs? I'm like, John, so you want some walleye, huh? Is yeah, they had, they had good walleye at, on a stick at the Mall of America, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so, it's a better place. So, I find out a place. Somebody says, well, you know, go to Jensen's for your walleye. I'm like, all right, well, we'll go to Jensen's. Get End up going down to Jensen's. Uh, Brew Tattoo takes us in his uh, Tadillac, and uh, we go with Bad Rock, and uh, <laughs> we get out there, and... It's, uh, you know, like the 90-year-old people shuffling in and ahead of us. And the uh, <laughs> place been there a while. You know, they pictures from the from the 40s. And and uh, everyone's dressed nicely. We're there in our beer t-shirts <laughs> <Yeah>. and shorts. <laughs> and they look at us and like, well, you're an unusual crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we gave the uh, the waiter plenty of crap. That's yeah. how, we, how we roll. Had them on camera, too, didn't we? Got them on camera. Other Other patrons were complaining about us. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, she wasn't really complaining so much as telling everyone Correct. I was full of shit for that, that you didn't, didn't know your walleye from your <laughs> your yellow perch. Yeah, well. that's right. And uh, so it was a, a good two hundred dollars for uh, a couple of pieces of walleye. And then, uh, and then on the way out, the our waiter told uh, the rest of the the people <laughs> that we were drunk and been drinking heavily and watch out for us. <laughs> So we were walking out, and they were all commenting to us. They're like, eh, be careful. Which way are you going? We'll avoid you. Be careful on the road. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. We had a good time at Jensen's Supper Club. In, uh, what was it, Egan, Minnesota. In Egan, Minnesota. If you're down in Egan, and you are uh, got a hankering for walleye, stop by Jensen's Supper Club. <laughs> so That was a good time. So you got your walleye fix? You're happy? Yeah, well, I had some today. Uh, for lunch also, and uh, it wasn't as good as at Jensen's, actually. All right. And, uh, you uh, can't beat Jensen's for your walleye there. Yeah. Now. I, I actually I actually uh, asked the chef, I said, you know, did you serve me trout by mistake? Because it, it tasted more like trout than walleye. Uh-huh. And he assured me that, no, it uh, was, you know, hand-prepared and rolled in Japanese breadcrumbs. And it's like, wow, you know, Japanese breadcrumbs. Okay. Palmer knows his walleye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I think of the uh, you know fifty, sixty times we've had dinner together, you've probably ordered fish uh, like 
65 of those oh, 60 yeah. times? Yeah, I, wherever I go, fish. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed. I've <laughs> noticed. I've noticed. He has a thing for fish, especially walleye. Yep. Uh, it's, it's one of the best. <laughs> so you tell me. But, uh, yeah, conference coming to a close. We're all done tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And then I'm pointing the RV west. And uh, I'm actually going to stop at uh, August, August August Shell. Yeah. In New Ulm. That, that's a beautiful brewery. I, I was there probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, pretty place. It's one of the, one of the I mean, it's like uh, built on the original site. Uh, they had a, had a big beer garden around the whole place. It's mm-hmm. a state. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bottling line looked like it was from, you know, the 1850s or so. But um, very, very nice beers there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to be there probably around noon tomorrow, so uh, uh, anybody else in the area, stop on by. should be a blast. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Cool. All right. So let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're coming back with Kai Troister. He's a uh, an engineering guy and a, a, and a serious beer geek, and we're going to be talking about brewing consistency. He gave a great talk this morning, and uh, I think he's got a lot of great things to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beer geeks. All right, well, we're live. Scream, everybody. Yeah! Ah, see, yeah. we got people here. We'll be back after this short break. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Organic ingredients. Fresh, clean, good for you, good for the planet. Seven Bridges has the best selection of organic ingredients, including over 27 varieties of organic hops at BrewOrganic.com. Join their mailing list for special deals and regular updates. They've been brewing organic and serving organic brewers for 13 years. They can help you brew great organic beer. And Seven Bridges is the proud host of the fourth annual National Organic Brewing Challenge, the only BJCP-sanctioned nationwide brewing competition just for organic beers. Take the challenge this fall for a chance to win great prizes, including stainless steel brew kettles and organic brewing ingredients. This year, the challenge will be judged in two locations, on the East Coast at Capital City Brewing in Arlington, Virginia, and on the West Coast at Gordon Biersch in San Jose, California. For complete details, visit breworganic.com slash competition. Seven Bridges is cooperatively owned in awesome Santa Cruz, California. Everyone there is dedicated to great beer and people-friendly business practices. They offer environmentally friendly, fair trade, and fair wage brewing products whenever possible. Seven Bridges, breworganic.com. Thank you. Listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> 
Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're sitting here live at the uh, Hospitality Suite NHC 2010 Minneapolis. And one of the things I love about being here, I get to hang out with my buddy John Blickman. He's got a a great uh, bunch of equipment over there. He's brought out uh, samples of new products that are coming out. The Hop Rocket. He's got the hot blocker. He's got the top tier system. He's got the Terminator. He's got the beer gun. He's got the, the top tier those, and those, the those, makers, those and the fermenters. And yeah. he's, he's 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 got it all. And uh, you know, one of the things I love about these uh, creative uh, guys, you know, and he's he's an engineer, but he's he's quite a creative guy. They're always missing some piece of finger or something. <laughs> Have you true. noticed that? You know, they're always you know they hold up a hand like piece of finger gone, and. Uh, Blickman's no no exception, you know. He's like missing a piece here or there. Yeah, <laughs> what's he missing? He's he's missing his driving finger for California. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> wow. You know his driving finger for California. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's gone. It, huh? it, it, he can't signal. Lost it in a cattle accident. Well, he's not going to be able to signal when he's driving in California. Yeah, I don't know. That's why he uh, never visits. You no, know, I'm sure it's something. He was working on something, and pff, there off it goes. That's a good sign of a great engineer. Exactly. You know, that's it's a hands-on engineer, one that tests the, the stuff himself yeah. and then learns about, you know, safety along the way. Right. And builds a nice, safe product after that, you know. He'll never do that again. Right. Oh, he's got the auto sparge. Look, here's some, here's some, some great stuff here. Yeah. Right, right. Beer gun, auto sparge, got the hot blocker, new, nice new product. So uh, if you get a chance, check these out. Check them out here. You check them out down at the uh, Blickman booth. It's opposite end. You see the giant rotating Blickman sign right there. Uh, he built that too. He built that too. Yeah. He built it two inches too tall, though. But oh. for the room. Oops. Yeah. So what does he do? Gets out a hacksaw. Maybe maybe he lost another part. You know, he could be missing a toe for all we know. <laughs> right. He was wearing shoes, so I couldn't really tell. But I, I wouldn't doubt. You know, you get your foot up there, you're sawing away with the uh, the cheap hacksaw down from Seven Eleven hacksaw. I bet he didn't even stop. He's no, right no. on going. No, he's the job. Here, here he comes. Here he comes. Right? <laughs> yeah. He's in the room. Right. See? Well, he's signaling with his, his missing uh, signaling finger right there. See? Yeah. It's a sign of a great engineer. You know, one hands-on engineer, that's how you tell. They're, they're missing some piece here well, or there. You had to calibrate it. That was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, and speaking of engineers, uh, yeah, Kai, you're, you're, you're an engineer. You Is work uh, in, in quite the, the geeky uh, technology, the chip technology field. Yes. And uh, you're also a massive beer geek. Actually, not, not so much well, not, more brewing, right? Uh, brewing but geek. Ah, brewing. I, there's really, a, a, a difference. 
it's really just another field to, to just geek out and uh, apply some of the things I do at, at work, to just at, at brewing, where I do tr uh, troubleshooting or finding things to um, make things consistent and um, mm -hmm. just find other ways to measure things and trying to get more and more numbers out, out of brewing. Right, right. And well, and one of the reasons that you want to do that is so you have, what, consistency, right? Well, there's one, yeah, for the con consistency part, and there's also for the troubleshooting part. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. if, if you're not consistent, the question is, oh, well, where did I go wrong? I mean, what was the step right. that, that I right. missed? And uh, I feel like the more you can measure, um, the more points you have to check to actually trace back and I say, oh, this mm -hmm. step didn't go, go right, so I'll, I'll have to fix that, but I don't have to touch uh, some, some other steps. He gave a really nice talk today at the uh, conference about uh, mash efficiency. And, uh, you know, people in general, when they're talking about mash efficiency, uh, you, 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 you said earlier, it's, it's like, you know, dick measuring. It's like <laughs> everybody was like, well, mine's, mine's bigger. I'm doing better. And that's not necessarily the best thing to focus on. No, it's not. Because you can make beer with less efficiency or more efficiency, not not necessarily a problem either way. But the the thing I loved about your talk was you were talking about how it's important to know what number you you can get and being able to calculate it and and expect to get the same number. So you have that consistency, and you can at that point decide you need more efficiency or less efficiency or or what you need to do to, in order to improve your beer. Uh, exactly, and it's also not so much. Yeah, it's not how to get to these numbers, but how to keep them stable. I mean, how mm -hmm. to how how to keep it predictable. How to make it such that it actually is not as sensitive to to some parameters. I was talking about this idea of conversion efficiency, which measures how many starches are converted in your mash. And one way to actually get that predictable is to make sure that you are at, at the top, as you are close to 100 percent, because it won't change much and, and mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And that gives you much more predictability than going forward because only the loudering process would then change your efficiency. Right. And even that you can get predictable if you, if you know your system, if you yeah. know what to expect. Mm -hmm. yeah, one good point you brought up was uh, that a thinner mash helps conversion. Yes. Um, that's, you know, that's something that doesn't get talked about much. A lot of brewers um, kind of really, I think, have focused on the thicker side of mash. Uh, grist ratios, you know, right. one and a half or one to one and a half quarts per pound, and um, you know, you you showed some numbers and uh, in some of your own research where you know two to three quarts per pound actually improves the conversion uh, in the extract, but you know, get the extract yield of your mash, isn't that right? Yes, that, that that's what I have seen, and I've never really understood why there's why this one and a quart. Um, Quad per pound is such a just a dogma in in, in home brewing because well, even right. in in your book, John, you talk about that one one and a half to two quarts per pound is more what should be favored. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think you know a lot of pro brewers they're trying to get as much grain into the mash tun as possible, and then you can you know you can dilute it later. But you know if you can't get enough grain into your mash tun to uh, you know get the the sugars you need, then you know, they're, they're always working with, it seems to me, undersized equipment. They're trying to push it to make as much beer as possible. And we don't need to do that as that home could brewers. be the case, yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing I liked about your talk earlier was you're splitting out, you came up with this concept of splitting out mash efficiency, convert, mash, con, con, or, well, conversion, conversion efficiency, efficiency not mash it. efficiency, but conversion efficiency from louder efficiency. Yes. 
So there are two different things. One is, you know, you can, you can and, and it wasn't, the, your, one of your points was it isn't difficult to get 100% essentially uh, conversion. conversion efficiency. And then once you've got that, uh, then you can worry about, you know, then your louder efficiency actually means something. If you've got lousy uh, conversion efficiency, then your louder efficiency is really could be masking a problem or accentuating a problem yes. that is really just in your mash parameters. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, a temperature, it's a thickness, it's a pH, it's a, you know, it grist your, your milling or, or what have you. Yes. What, what kind of um, techniques should people be looking at to get 100% Ma- uh, conversion efficiency. What what are the simple things that they should focus on to do that, and then gain well, more control over their their loudering? Or right, there's also uh, first of all, you just give it enough time for the given mash temperature that mm-hmm. that, that you chose. Uh, pay some attention to your water. At least um, know what your water's like and try to match it up with the color. Mm-hmm. Of the beer. I mean, there is a lot of leeway when it comes to what pH actually works well for conversion, but it can be off quite a bit, especially with uh, very pale uh, beers. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing is, yeah, just grist. Uh, it depends. It, not every home brewer has control over their own uh, mil- over their own milling, but if mm-hmm. you do, just make sure that the grist is pro- uh, the, the malt is properly crushed. It is good access. For the yeah. water and to give a mass schedule, particularly if you have a single infusion, you may have to run it a little finer than you would do, for example, with a decoction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that helps. And so once you are at this, uh, and also what I wanted to say is, it goes back the idea of conversion efficiency goes back to the idea of well, I just have more numbers to to look at. I know, like if if I if I'm short. In in the efficiency and in the cattle, I can go back. Okay, what is the problem? At mash, or was it a problem during loudering? And even after, even at, when the mash is complete, I can just check the, the gravity and said, "Oh yeah, I'm fine here. I don't have to worry about this now. Mm-hmm. I can uh, go on." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think changing your crush, changing the degree of crush, can be a, a, a big source of variation in your conversion efficiency. Yes. So you know, rather than trying to dial that around, uh, if you apply, you know, if you set the mill to a consistent setting and just leave it. Um, at least you you've locked down that variable, yes. and uh, you can you can focus on okay, was my temperatures correct? Was my you know my grist ratio a factor? Um, it kind of it kind of moves you off that you know worrying about whether you got the right crush or not. Right, the the, the crush is largely dependent on how you, how you sparge, and so it, just yep. choose choose a crush that is fine enough that you don't get mm-hmm. a stuck sparge and just. Right. Keep, and just keep it there. Yeah, people will change their mills for uh, you know different grains and things like that. I I, I, I never bothered with that. Like well, like John's saying, I'm I want to keep as many parameters consistent as possible. As long as those are locked in, then I could you know the ones that I adjust for each batch that may be different per recipe. Then I focus on those, and uh, I, I find that. It, it one, it's much more relaxing to brew that way because <laughs> yep. I don't worry about so many little things. And the other is, uh, it makes it easier for me to figure out where I went wrong if something doesn't turn out how I predicted. And and if you're in, in the process of trying to find the sweet spot, I don't think it's 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 a bigger problem to actually change around the mill setting as long as you take good notes of it. Yeah, that's right. True. And that you can go back and say, okay, what 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 did I do to there? So I have experimented uh, quite a bit with. 
refiner and coarser grist. Just example, mm-hmm. this goes up as a back to the conversion efficiency. So if you have right. if, you are, if you have a very fine crush and you have this hundred percent conversion efficiency, chances are that you may be able to back off a little mm-hmm. until you actually may affect your conversion efficiency because. Up to that point, the crush, the finer crush, doesn't really help you to get more efficiency. It just may make lowering more risky or more, or more painful. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things I, I really like about you and, and, and the, the, your geekiness is that you do a lot of experimentation. And you, you put this on your website. You've got a website, uh, browkaiser.com. It's B-R... A U K A I S E R dot com, and uh, you, you you know you're not afraid to put your you you design an experiment, you put your parameters, your assumptions, all that in there. So uh, and then you know you go through your process and then uh, your data and then you draw your conclusions and uh, the. You know, anybody else who wants to go and try this and say, well, you know, Kai doesn't know what he's talking about, uh, they can go ahead and, and try it themselves and say, well, oh, I got different data or uh, I got the same data. Gee, he does know what he's talking about. So I, I love that kind of experimentation. I hate it when people, you know, they wave the chicken foot over the kettle and say, well, it was the best beer I ever made. So clearly it was the chicken foot. Of course, because it didn't fall into the kettle. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. All the other times it fell in. I mean, it may have been the chicken foot, but you don't really know. You can't say positively it was or positively it wasn't. It becomes, uh, you know, just a speculation. And, and, and so much of the stuff people are doing is just speculation. So I really like that uh, you, you, you've got all this stuff and you've been doing these experiments and you've got this website. You've got a lot of good, good stuff there. And I yeah, like the layout, welcome. too. You, you kinda, it's, it's done with a wiki. Yeah, the, the, yeah. That, that, it's a really nice, so I don't have to worry about um, maintaining a web page and right, the, right. the so, design aspect. So I like it. And, and there's a lot of good information there on a lot of uh, traditional German brewing techniques. And you, mm. you seem really into those. Uh, and you, yeah, you speak it. German, you read German, so <laughs> it, that's probably one of the reasons yeah, why. I try to or? put my heritage to good use there. That's, All right. Uh, it's great. just natural for me. Yeah, Justin's trying to put his heritage to good use, but that all that did was make him live in Pacheco. So, yeah, well. All right, let, let's do this. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to hear more about uh, your thoughts on traditional German brewing techniques, if, if you're good with that. And, uh, and uh, we'll, uh, after that, we'll take some questions from the audience. So you guys don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. I've been brewing 17 years. I was kind of shocked to see that number. Don't do the math on my age. This month, More Beer wants you to meet Chris Graham. I started when I was in college, and I just fell in love with it. Partner, Chief Operating Officer, and Certified Beer Geek. I have just a ton of passion for home brewing. I think it's such a creative outlet, both ingredients and art and process and technical equipment. Chris is here to tell us about life at More Beer. What I love about working at More Beer is the people. Their passion, their passion for products innovating new products, looking at pro brewers, how they do it, or just seeing an opportunity and saying, hey, we should make that. And then carrying over to teaching people, and and that's another part of our passion, so that they can make the best beer possible. Now, how about this month's specials? Five of my favorite things to brew with right now are the digital refractometer. It makes taking samples so much faster than a regular hydrometer. The Scotch Ale, because it's just an amazing multi-beer, especially if you let it age. The gas and beer quick disconnect set. It makes setting up a kegerator so much faster. And my 1000 brewing sculpture. It's fast, clean, and easy to brew on. And then there's the Grand Box. This is a box they named after me, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Gotta have it. Get to know Chris this month at morebeer.com. Hey, what are you doing, man? 
writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe, and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it, with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmasters Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for an economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zedeshaf and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard, and polish your style accuracy with Jamel. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewingnetwork, or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own. The how-to homebrew beer magazine. Hilo, what's your feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, don't forget, you guys out here, uh, coming up, we're going to be taking questions live, Q&A. You'll just come up, uh, Push will uh, put you on the mic, and you can ask your questions. Any any sort of question you have for us, uh, fair game. Uh, we'll be doing that after this segment, so don't go anywhere. Uh, start thinking of your questions that you want to ask, and, uh, you know, uh, if you're really embarrassed, you can write them down and hand them to him, and the lovely Pusha Jack will read them for you. Yeah! In a funny voice. And a funny voice, yeah. Oh, that might be far more entertaining, too. So go ahead and write your questions down, pass them on to Push, and uh, and he'll sound like a, a young girl telling uh, Tasty to suck it or something. I don't know. Wait, what? Uh, all right. 
So we're, we're, we're speaking with uh, Kai Troyster. He's uh, one of the uh, beer geeks that uh, are brewing geeks that uh, we enjoy uh, uh, the Reading pleasure spells, of on yeah. the on the uh, in our in our in our world uh-huh. on the world of internet on the yeah. world of internet. Yes, the the interwebs. Yes. Yeah. Which which forums do you, gener- you generally post to most? Um, now it's more the uh, the AJ forum. Okay. Uh, oh, so okay. everybody should go there. Nice, There's nice AJ forum. Okay. And uh, the Northern Brewer, I know some homebrew talk. Uh huh. Okay. So there, there was a time when I was also on, on the B on the BN. So sorry for for being absent. <laughs> for, uh, yeah, it's it's hard, you know. Uh, you you sign up these forums. You have a, you know great int- you know I, I got great intent to, uh, yeah, to post stuff, but. You know, I, I haven't posted anything in so long. It's unless it's like show related, I'm not doing a yeah. darn thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm far worse than you will ever be, I think. So, and also, I mean, you have to also watch out that you don't really get su- get suckered in too much and to yeah, maybe spend right. a lot of your work time. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Do, doing that. So. Well, this is my work time right here. So uh, drinking beer and uh, yakking on the radio is is my work time now. All right. So uh, during the break, you, you mentioned one thing to me that that uh, I think is also very important. Uh, you you said uh, you like the fast ferment test as well, or or, yeah. or force force ferment uh, is, is what I call them, uh, where you you take a sample of the the word and then and then uh, you, at, you at, pitch at a bunch a of yeast. yeast. Yeah. I mean, a lot of yeast compared to that being a sample, so you mm-hmm. basically badly over pitch it. Mm-hmm. And the sample doesn't have to be large. It's uh, large enough so that you later can take a hydrometer mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to just let it, make it as good and nice for, for the yeast as possible right. so that they ferment as many sugars as they can. So right. that means warm, agitated occasionally, maybe even stir, put it on, stir on, plate on, on a stir uh-huh. plate. Uh-huh. Um, probably with an airlock on. I'm not sure if there's, if there's too, too much air and that they start eating the alcohol mm-hmm. too or not producing as much alcohol. So you do want to have a realistic mm-hmm. fermentation, but not realistic in terms of that you actually can judge the uh, beer quality later. This will right. take, taste really nasty later. Right. Right. Yeah. But what, what you're just looking for is what is the attenuation limit of the word that I just pr- produced in, in, in mashing. Mm-hmm. And you, that is how far the yeast can go. Right. And now your actual fermentation management and yeast choice and also beer style will determine how close the yeast will get. And mm-hmm. some beers benefit from the yeast not going all the way. There will be residual mm-hmm. sugars, which are important for the character and balance of the beer. Right. But some, some other beer styles, like a Pilsner, for example, um, they you want to have it as close as possible to that attenuation limit to get that dryness. Right, right. Yeah. And actually, that is, I found that this, this difference between attenuation and attenuation limit mm-hmm. is more important to the character of the beer than the actual final gravity. I agree. Actually, I, I agree have, 100%. Yes, yeah, yes. You talked about it, yeah. I have made, made, made beers where, actually, it goes back to the, the consistency where, okay, so I kind of... Got, got, got the mash wrong and, and the fermentability or the attenuation limits of the word were different but I knew that if I kind of want to recreate that beer that I have to make sure that the yeast that the, that the delta will be about the same mm-hmm. and that's especially in lager brewing kind of easy to control because most more often than not it'll actually take a while to get there so when, once it is in the correct range I would just crash cool it uh, mm-hmm. to, to cold conditioning and thus kind of stop the fermentation mm-hmm. uh-huh well, and, and one of the things that uh, I've always ranted and raved about was uh, uh, the fact that you could have a, a beer that finishes 10 points lower and seems sweeter and fuller 
And uh, a beer that finished 10 points higher. Tasty uh, McDowell right over there, folks. He, uh, he, he brought in uh, two Belgian blondes, I believe it was. We had a good time. Then we tasted some beer. Uh, no, we, we tasted some Belgian blondes. And then we had some, no, no. He brought in two beers that he'd done, and they had attenuated different amounts, like a ten point difference. And uh, one of them was was sweeter and fuller. I said, "Well, you know, this one finished higher, and this one finished lower, and it was the exact opposite, ten point difference. It was amazing the the difference between the two beers. It has to do with uh, you know the types of residual sugars that are left, and uh, you know if if they're all these long chain dextrins, they're not sweet." You know, yeah. you, you really don't taste them. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into the character of the beer. And it's, and it's like I was saying, you know, it's, it's that little bit that doesn't get attenuated out. I mean, most of the yeast, they stop just shy of what the maximum could be and, uh, or a little further back. But, you know, it tells you uh, a lot about the beer. One of the, uh, the things that this, this test is really valuable for is if you do this forced work test, a lot of times people would say, well, I got this stuck fermentation. Uh, you know, I keep adding tons more yeast into it, and it won't ferment, it won't ferment, it won't ferment. It's like maybe it's already completely fermented out. If you do this force wort test or this fast uh, ferment test, it will tell you what your maximum is going to be. And if you're just a couple points shy of that, it's fully fermented. It's not yeah. really going to ferment anymore. So and you can, you, you can even start break, breaking some, some more rules when you know that attenuation limit. Um, mm-hmm. You may even start cold conditioning the beer before it's fully attenuated and then later account for the residual sugar when you uh, bottle con- condition the beer. You just use mm-hmm. le- less priming sugar, for example. Um, that is something. But, it, but still, you have to make sure that by the time you, you, in your chiller down that, it, that the yeast has already cl- cleaned up the beer so that you don't right. leave uh, diacetyl. Uh, Acetylaldehyde. It, yes, and it gives you a control, a, a feedback from your mashing process too. So you can actually go back and kind of com- compare compare these notes if you try to to design a new recipe and see, okay, how should should I mash it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, all right. So we mentioned before the break, uh, uh, you're German. Yes. All right. And so you've got a, 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 a uh, an interest in uh, traditional German uh, brewing techniques. And you actually read a lot of these German texts that we don't have access to here, or we have access to them, we just can't read them. Because <laughs> yeah. it looks like they're written in German or something. But you're able to read German. So, And actually, one of the, uh, the great things that you told me the other day, you mentioned that uh, you know, there was some uh, information on enzymes that actually put the sugars back together. Yes. And I thought, that, well, that was fascinating. I never, I never heard that. And you found that in one of these texts. Yeah, I did find us in, in, in one of Nazis' books, who, uh, is, who used to be uh, head of the brewing uh, school of, of Weinstefan. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of those little tidbits where we, we are always told that, that the enzymes in the mash only like take sugars apart. Right. But, but apparently there are also enzymes in the mash, at least at, at a low concentration, that are able to, to take maltose, for example, and put it back at the end of a dextrin mm-hmm. and create a larger sh- sugar from that. And right. well, the, it, it, it kind of makes sense because the, the barley needed that at some point to make starch. Right, so to that make the starch. Right, right. But, but it does not really violate our idea of, or, or our simple model of having the beta and the alpha amylase because mm-hmm. it's still that even in, in the existence of these enzymes that unless there are extreme con- conditions that you have 
that you get, get get a more fermentable wort if you measure at lower temperatures mm-hmm. as opposed to higher temperatures. So mm-hmm. it's right. not something to worry about right, as, a, right. as a home brewer, just something, <laughs> one of those uh, little tidbits of That's one of, of those neat things to, to yeah. geek out about. And, you know, our listeners... Uh, you know they uh, they enjoy brewing all sorts of beer and, and sometimes they'll take it easy and brew whatever but they all want to know how to make perfect beer they're really concerned about you know they, they're not going to overly worry i think but they really like to to hear this information kind of figure it out and say wow all right if i do this uh, i shouldn't really worry if i do that I, you know i should yes. and uh, i think that's that's one of the great things about figuring all these these little things out and getting these bits of information it makes it enjoyable. And it makes you also a much more relaxed brewer if you know what parts are actually important for the consistency and for the quality of the mm-hmm. final outcome. For example, I mean, many are probably like, like, like me and have family and trying to trying to balance the brewing with, yeah. with family life. So sometimes I just cannot really stick to my brewing schedule as much. Uh, or I do have to take a break some, somewhere actually to just not wreck the, the relationship with the wife, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's good to know that there are certain parts in the brewing process where I may be able to just extend the rest or just right. uh, maybe let the word, if it's cold, just sit much longer unpitched right. than, than, we were, than we are told to, just because I know that's not going to make a difference here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, of all the stuff you've learned from, from reading all these uh, German texts about brewing, What's the if you had to distill it down to one thing that people should take away from that? If if there was one thing that uh, you think is most important about brewing that you learned from all your research, what would that be? Put you on the spot here. <laughs> well, what would you pick as being the uh, the one thing that really makes uh, probably the biggest difference in in uh, brewing beer? Now, well, I mean, this is un- undoubtedly the idea of sanitation. Uh-huh. I mean, the, we, we, we all agree on, on right. proper sanitation and proper yeah. fer- fer- fermentation. And this is also true for, for German uh, brewing. And, there, and also know that there is, this doesn't seem to be that, that big secret <laughs> to trying to, trying, uh, to brew the perfect ger- German beer either. But for some reason, it is some, somewhat elusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, yeah. even to me, with what I've seen and tasted in, in my own brewing, it's not easy to get that. Typical mm-hmm. German flavor in yeah. the beer. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and and I think uh, you know we all we all accept it as being a, a critical part of it. And the interesting thing is, uh, you know, people still don't achieve it. You know, for uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I'm very focused on sanitation, and I think it's such a critical part. Of, you know, I, I even forget about it now. It's like I don't I don't believe I should mention it to anybody because. They should all already be doing these well, things. It depends on yeah. what kind, to, to what kind, kind of level right. brewer we are talking to. I mean, obviously, right. a beginning brewer, I mean, they uh-huh. have to be taught, really, be really careful. But I mean, once you're intermediate and advanced, you right. just take it as a given, and then you're more focusing on getting the, getting the yeast right. Although, yeah. you know, it, it's possible to take it too far. And we were talking about this the other Actually, day, too. You, you, were, you were saying, I don't want people to, uh, I'll talk about something geeky, but I don't want people to think that they have to do this in order to make good beer. But now he, you know, they, he, they, he they shouldn't let it hurt them. They say, actually, when I thought, thought about sanitation, I thought that this is the only thing in brewing that you cannot do 
too much of. Oh, hold on. Hold on. You, you, no, you may use, you yeah. may use, you may do too much. I right, mean, you right. may waste your time, but exactly. you're not you're ruining right. the beer. It's like right. all the other things you can do too much of and, oh. and ruin yeah. your beer. Well, I got this friend. He's out near Chicago. He came out. Uh, he won the b- b- brew day, and he came out and brewed with me. And uh, he was he, what he wanted to watch was how I sanitized everything. And he was doing these, you know, uh, very elaborate steps to make sure everything was, you know, just as as, as sanitary as possible. Closed everything was closed. Uh, transfer everything was, you know, uh, gloved and face masked and and. Uh, it was killing him. It, he was not having any fun brewing, yep. and it was preventing him from brewing. And I told him, I said, "You need to, you need to back down." Mm-hmm. I said, "You need to, you need to be a little more sloppy in your process." Mm-hmm. I said, "You know, it's too much." He was the only person that that I've ever met that I thought was going overboard. You know, much much worse than me. I'm thinking, you know, this guy could go ahead and sanitize for me. I, I can't imagine anything lives after this guy does it. So, and, but the, the, the problem was, you know, it was, uh, you know, brewing wasn't any fun for him. And uh, coming out and, and seeing me do it, he actually relaxed after seeing me, which is unusual. And he, he was saying, you know, oh, wow, you know, I feel like I can brew again because it's not going to be that, that big a challenge. Really, I can I can stop doing all these other things. You know, he saw how I was doing it. The beer was turning out just fine. Close so, enough was good enough. Yeah. Right, and so yeah, I would think you know, don't let it stop you. Don't let it worry. Don't worry about it. You know, Kai's absolutely right. That's probably the fundamental, most important thing about brewing. Um, and then the second is probably fermentation, and then you know everything else after that. But uh, you know, don't worry so much that it stops you from brewing you should be uh you know brewing beer and enjoying it and especially even if your fermentation is or your your sanitation is sloppy if your fermentation's good and uh you drink the beer quick it'll be great <laughs> you'll never notice the difference and uh you can have a you can have a great time with that all right so we're going to be doing some q a questions here when we come back from this break uh you know either uh Cue up here with uh, the lovely Push Eject, or write down your questions and, and pass them to them if you want them to read them for you. But any questions you got, step right up. Give us some questions. Where We'll be back after this. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the Intuitive Beer Gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, 
a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. And now, Northern Brewer brings you another installment of The Time Brewers. Three brewers, three different eras, all caught in the same fermento chronological vortex, traveling through time, righting brewing wrongs, and bringing beery wisdom to where and whenever it may be needed. Journey now with Dr. Jean de Clerc. Greetings, listeners. 20th century Belgian super brewing scientist. Please, please, be yeast and the enzymes to the hard work. I am merely a facilitator. Icebox. What, what? 21st century Norwegian American homebrewer rapper from St. Paul. Listen, listen. I bust attenuation maxims and my Yakima magnums make my log so smooth it's like a laxative. My spit got diastatic power after I mash for an hour. I got naked ladies in my brew room all covered in hot flowers. I swing a propagation flask like a five liter dick. Get your nasty mid-drinking group on ass back to 1026, boo! And Brother Abelard. Up there with witch. Be gone! 12th century English monk and perpetuator of brewing superstition. My holy rod of divine bubbling shall make it any ale to froth by the grace of heaven. And a modicum of bog myrtle hurts not either. Brought to you by Northern Brewer, your one-stop homebrew supplier throughout the entire Fermento Chronosphere. The widest selection of quality malt, hops, yeast, and equipment with $7.99 flat rate shipping. Tune in next time for more Time Brewers! Stop. Bertison, what is it? Listen, I think I hear a dwarfen ale. A what? A dwarfen ale. But there's no such thing. Aye, lad, but soon there will be. Hail Brewers! Fantasy Brewmasters invites you to participate in their 2010 Dwarf Brew Recipe Contest. Do you dig fantasy? Have you ever wondered what sort of ale a wizard might come across at his local tavern? Have you ever wanted to find out what a dwarf in ale really tastes like? Yeah, you know who you are, and here's your chance to show your geek pride. Submit what you think would be the ultimate dwarf in beer, and your recipe could be chosen for commercial production as their flagship beer. Entrance must be a U.S. resident, 21 years of age, or older. Log on to www.fantasybrewmasters.com to register and for contest rules and more details. For this contest, they're looking to brew an authentic dwarf in beer of your creation along the lines of a very drinkable brown ale. Registration deadline is Tuesday, August 31st. The winner takes home $1,000 plus they get to see their beer brewed commercially. Go to fantasybrewmasters.com now. It's not some old fantasy character beer. It's f***ing dwarf in ale. Fantasybrewmasters.com Back to your hosts, 
Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're live. NHC 2010 Minneapolis! We're here with our uh, guest, uh, Kai Troister. He's... uh Author of uh, Braukaiser dot com b r a u k a k a i s e dot com yeah because it didn't get Kaiser dot com <laughs> right yeah that one was probably taken back in uh, World War Two or no World War One actually no. um yeah, back back before the internet no, it's a biscuit company actually. Is it? Oh yeah, that's Kaiser Peppermint. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, well, and if you're if you're browsing those interwebs, you might want to swing by uh, BlickmanEngineering.com as well. Blickman with uh, two ends, uh, our fine sponsor. He takes good care of us, so uh, uh, so we don't have to. So we don't have to. So you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to take good care of us. Right. Uh, Blickman's doing the job for you. And he's paying. He's paying for this show, so you don't have to. So make sure you, you know you can stop by over there booth today and uh, you know shake his hands and say hey, you know thanks so much uh, you know for for hosting the show and, and keeping it. We enjoy it, and uh, maybe you want to check out the, that gear and buy yourself uh, a few goodies uh, while you're here. Uh, maybe you left your spouse at home, and uh, he or she is not going to notice when you walk up. Back home with a boiler maker. Or you just kind of slip in the garage. And went you know, the beer gun is small enough. You tuck it in your sock, put your pant leg down over it, and then you can kind of, you know, limp into the house and say, oh, no, uh, no nothing wrong with my leg. I'm just happy to see you. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Uh, really. Uh, all right. So we're going to take some questions live from the audience. Uh, first up. Hi, I'm Denny Kahn from Notai, Oregon. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Hey, it's really cool to have you three guys together. I'm really enjoying this conversation a lot. Kai, there's something I've always wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, you're like so steeped in German brewing tradition, yet at the same time, you're a real heretic, which is, you know, what I love about you. Um, your cold sparging experiments, and the thing that impresses me most of all is that you're a batch sparger. How did, how did you decide on batch sparging when you go so traditional on so many things? Because um, I didn't want to spend much, <laughs> as much money to actually get a, a system that is uh, good enough for fly sparging. So, and, and I found it uh, to, to be very con- consistent, and I just felt that all the money I actually kind of have to spend right now in brewing that goes into the cold side. Of, of brewing. I, that's where I have been in, investing much, much more than just mm-hmm. into the uh, was it, uh, was a 26 quart um, turkey fryer pot. That's what I use. Mm-hmm. So my, my boils start about an inch below, <laughs> the, <laughs> below well, the rim and um, have to manage those right. boil offers. But hey, it works. Well, see, and I think you know, you're, you're saying you know, invest in the cold side first. Uh, I would agree. I, I, yeah. you know, I think uh, the, the good people at uh, White Labs and Y Yeast, they Decree too. It's that's where beer is made. That it makes such a huge difference in uh, the the quality of the beer. Well, well you know, it's yeah. uh, being that, able to. That's where beer is made. Right, right. Beer is made. W- Word is made in, in the brew house, and beer is right, made in right. the cellar. And uh, you can take almost any wort and make uh, a, a really good beer if you ferment it uh, well. But actually, there, I found a nice uh, some, something about that in an old German brewing book that, that I read a while back, where actually one of the guidelines said that what you mess 
that, that, that what you mess up in the brew house, you may be able to correct in fermentation, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you cannot correct anything in, in, in fermentation. You cannot correct a bad fer- fermentation, right? right? right. And so that, that holds still true. Well, and yep. we, we did an interview, well, you did the interview with uh, Charles Banforth, they do over the phone, and then we played it on one of our shows, where uh, you were talking about hot side aeration. You know, yeah. you worry about hot, hot side aeration, all that. He goes, well, you know, essentially, I think his, his thing was... It exists, but it doesn't matter because if you have good fermentation, it cleans up all the uh, compounds that you would worry about from hot side aeration. That's so, right. right. As long as you know fermentation is is so important, so you know you see that that's a that's a great place to invest if you're if you're looking at you know temperature control for fermentation and uh, you know things like that uh, ability to uh, add some oxygen to your your beer. All right. So our next question, if you got any questions, you know, go ahead, you know, come on up to the mic. We won't leave until uh, we get all the questions answered, so uh, don't be afraid. I'm David Mers. I'm from um, South Carolina. David. And Kay, uh, Kai, I would like for you to elaborate on a little tidbit on your page on Maltese rest. I've done it once, and just uh, that little tidbit. Mal- well, are you talking Maltese? Uh, the rest where you back down the temperature after Oh, the so what, what, what he's talking about, is this the, uh, the uh, read the recent Zymergy article about that? It's on your page, too. It's on the yes, I know. I know. But in all that data on, the, on MASH chemistry. Right, so, so what, what he's talking about is that there's an enzyme uh, present in, in, in the malt that actually can split mainly maltose into glucose. And okay. that is the, um, the maltase. Glu- uh, I'm not sure what what's it called. Alpha glucosidase. Or yeah, something like that. And but the problem is with this enzyme, it is it is active at lower temperature, so it's active at about 45 degrees Celsius and denatures after that. So in normal mashing, we don't see much of its activity. Now there is a way to use that enzyme, and uh, what you would do, you would actually create a lot a lot of maltose. In, in a mash and then lower the temperature by adding cold water and then you add more malt okay. to, to the mash so it can actually add fresh, oh, uh, fresh amount of enzyme and of, of cre- that particular in- enzyme yeah and cre- in- increase the proportion of that right and, and then you yes and then you have and then you create glucose in that in that mash and it has been found that if, if you do that if you increase the glucose amount invert that you get more ester per production. Uh, there right. has been that some, some sense, research yeah. done a few years back by Marcus Herrmann at the uh, Weinstefan uh, Brewing School and he proposed that as a means of creating very ester-rich wheat beers in generally ester-suppressing fermentation environments like tall conicals. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And there was a recent, um, a recent Zymergy article about that as well. And um, so that's what he's talking about. There's, there's, it's a it's kind of complicated match, and I don't think it's, it's really something that homebrewers should look to as making the perfect right. wheat, wheat beer, beer or, right. or vice beer. It's Just more pour some, in some glucose syrup if you want more oh, glucose. See, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like that, this is where, where we get, get into traditional German brewing right. traditions. There right. is no, there's yeah, no right. add, adding right. sugar in, in German. Right. So that's why they have these to do these creative things. Uh-huh. And uh, this is more one of those geeky fermentation schedules that you may may want to try out and see what you get. Yeah, right. just for, uh, just for grins. I, I tried it recently, and um, it didn't work as much as I thought it would work. So I'll have mm-hmm. to see. Maybe I did some something wrong there, but uh, is now let's see that that, kind of that uh, you know the the effect of glucose on ester production. That's a, one of the things in the uh, yeast book coming out. Chris White. 
uh, and myself uh, were working on, and that's coming out the mid-September 2010. You should see that yeast book, so uh, pick yourself up a copy. All right, we got another question coming up. Hi, uh, guys. I'm Jason Gabriel from Davenport, Iowa, and I uh, don't exactly have a question about mash efficiency, but it is a serious question all the same. Any question. No all problem. Right. I warned you. Um, I see a lot of uh, you know equipment here for you guys set up. When you guys are back in the studio, I mean, there's laptops I can see everywhere. Do you find that uh, the various and massive amounts of porn that Justin keeps on the laptops encourages you, or does it slow things down? Well, he keeps those laptops facing himself normally in the studio. That's one of the reasons I'm a little bit distracted here. Um, so you and, you know, the, the funny screen. thing was, uh, I, 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 I think, uh, was it you? Yeah, I think it was you. It, 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 it was you. We met the other day, and I said, uh, we've met before, haven't haven't we? And you said, uh, no, no. And I said, hey, you look really familiar. And you said, well, it must be from the gay porn. And I'm like... Exactly. That's where I know you from. I've seen you on Justin's laptop. All right. So, uh, no, it, it, normally not a problem. Uh, the only thing that slows us down in the studio is, uh, like, uh, Schumann is, uh, you know, clogging up the, uh, he's rubbing one out, and then it's, like, takes all the uh, internet bandwidth and makes the live broadcast difficult. Next question. Well, my name's Jamie Snelson. I'm from Austin, Texas. I got a question about uh, water to grist ratio. Uh-huh. You talked earlier today about how you could go up to three quarts per, per pound. I'm curious how that affects flavor, or and how would it be changed for different styles? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I have not done much experimentation about how it changes flavors. I, I know that, that it works because, for example, the brew in a bag guys, yeah, they, use, they, re- they use very uh, thin, thin mashes as uh-huh. well. Um, Traditionally, I've read that the English beers, for example, are, are mashed thick. Yeah. So, and German beers are kind of mashed thin. So, maybe you want to choose kind of where, where you want to go with the mash thickness based on these guidelines first. And uh, mm-hmm. if you're interested in if it makes what kind of flavor difference, difference it makes, just brew, brew up a side by side batch. Right. And brew, mm-hmm. brew the same beer twice with uh, different. And I, 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 I would think agree, you know. temperature would be a more. Uh, a, a bigger driver for uh, flavor difference is a function of you know fermentability and so on than, right. than mash thickness. But you know, it, it, it is so forgiving that you can be anywhere in, in that range. You know, anywhere sort of close to that range, and as long as you're fermenting the beer well, it's going to turn out really good. <laughs> and it's one of the smaller things that you you need to worry about. So if you perfected everything else and you got like. Awesome sanitation and fermentation and uh, packaging and all that. Then all of a sudden, this this parameter is important. And this is one of the things that Kai was talking about earlier today was, you know, uh, understanding your number and why that number is there and, and controlling that number. You know, it, it's it's important, but uh, it's you know it's not the end of the world. But you got to figure out all these things and have consistency in all these other things as well. So. You know, don't get sidetracked off of one thing or another and uh, let it distract you from making great beer. And I, I also have not found a lot of data supporting that there's a big change in, uh, in, from, in fermentability depending on the, uh, yeah, it's uh, tiny. On, on the mash shake thickness. Actually, I, right. can, I can 
produce sources that say that it's going to be thinner if you mash thinner. I have sources that say the other way around and say and sources that say, well, it's a, it, yeah. it's a wash. Right. So, e- right. so even in the scientific um, brewing community, they can't really agree what's happening. And just because there are so many factors working against each other, and just depends on that particular experiment. Mm-hmm. What uh, what was the uh, or the or the overwhelming factor there in yeah. in affecting um, attenuation? Okay. All right, next question. All right, hey guys, my name is uh, Kevin Dillon from Davenport, Iowa, also, and uh, my question doesn't really involve around gay porn, but actually. <laughs> uh, I have a question. I had I talked to John yesterday. I had my first batch of beer that came out smelling of the sulfur and everything, and it freaked me out like crazy. So I went and read up in the books and everything. Was talking about what to do, and then I met with a brewer from one of the breweries in Davenport, and he said when you're transferring to secondary, take a penny and put it into the the tube when you're transferring it over, and that's supposed to help to take care yeah. of that problem. But he didn't really explain to me why. So I was hoping maybe you guys could enlighten me a little bit as to why that would help out. Well, and they do this with wine as well, but the the problem is a modern penny is actually made of zinc, so you really yeah. that's that's not not, it's not appropriate. The, it's the copper. What it does is it complexes with the the uh, sulfites that are in the wort. They they give rise to the sulf the H two S that comes out of the beer during fermentation. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to convert uh, the sulfur to a less volatile form. So that it doesn't that uh, and it, so you don't taste it and so on. But I got a much better way to, to handle this problem. All right, so and, and you're and you're putting your practical brewing experience right here. I've, I'm dealing with this sort of thing. All right, so uh, uh, you know you're 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 putting this in a keg. All right, so the the advantage that beer has over a lot of these wines is that you've got carbonation. Carbonation you can use to drive out all sorts of volatile compounds out of the beer. So you go ahead and put it in the keg, carbonate it up. And uh, you can just bleed off some CO2 every couple of hours during the day. Just gotta give it a tss, let it let it carbonate back up. Tss, huh? Oh, if you're doing bottles instead, oh, you're screwed. Uh, so, uh, but but if you're if you're kegging, uh, you know you can just blow off a lot of those volatile uh, compounds, and uh, you know it should clear up. It, it may take days or a week. Uh, John, please say. Uh, was able to, to fix a beer doing this the same technique. Well, actually, and, my experience uh, has been that uh, that it just takes time to age out for for the sulfur. It's very co- common for, for for young lagers, for example, to have sulfury. Yeah, it, yeah. it depends. I mean, some of those sulfur compounds, yeah, but you know, a lot of the sulfur it'll stick around forever and it just never goes away. And it, I, I guess it depends on on what the the sulfur complex is, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, what, maybe uh, you know, in, in the individual beer, but. You can actually blow off uh, a lot of that pretty fast, so uh, you, you end up with some of those compounds. Uh, you know, same thing. Uh, you have diacetyl or acetaldehyde. You can either count on the yeast that's in it. Uh, you know, put a little more yeast in it, warm it up, and it'll clean up. So beers like that, they're not they're not necessarily lost. Um, they're fixable. Yeah. All right. Next question. Hi. I'm, uh, I have a question for Jamil. My name is John Sims. I'm from Springfield, Virginia. Uh, a question about yeast. With um, I'm a, a beginning mead maker, and I'm using Narbonne from Lalvin, the 71B. I rehydrate it with GoFirm. What do I have to do in order to get a pitchable thing according to your calculator? Is that valid for, y- for the Narbonne yeast? Uh, yeah, it, 
it, it should be, you know, the um, you know the the thing about the the pitching rate calculator is it gives you at least a starting point, right? And uh, you know, and, and always when you use dry yeast, dry yeast, you want to rehydrate. You're do, you're doing the perfect thing with the go firm and all that, and that's gonna is gonna give you the the best of that dry yeast. If you don't rehydrate like that, you're throwing like half of half dead yeast into your into your mead or your beer. So it's important to rehydrate. The pitching rate calculator, and what that's set up to do is to give you a consistent pitching rate across uh, you know whatever beers you're doing or meads you're doing. And if you find that that rate works for you, great. It should get you really close. You may find that you want to go a little higher or a little lower, especially in a mead or you know if you're making a, you know a cider or something like that. At least you know you can be consistent, and then you're, you can keep your pitching rate the same. So it is it is valid and it, you know a helpful tool for for that sort of thing. All right, if you got questions, come on up to, to Mr. Pushy Ejecti, and uh, he will uh, Bruce Strong your questions for you. I'm sure there's more questions c- to come, but we have a couple of written in ones. Dirk Baker from Hillsboro, Oregon, asks: Are there any discernible differences between mash hopping and first ward hopping on overall bitterness, aroma, etc.? I would think that would be a difference on overall bitterness because we don't carry over the right. alpha acids, and uh, you, so you would only carry over mash hopping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you would only carry over. Actually, you would only ca- carry over the few alpha acids that you got dissolved, and maybe the few yeah, alpha made its way. I, I, I yeah. summarized, um, right. so made the, uh, the aroma itself and flavor might be similar to first world hopping because it's kind of the same temperatures, the same reactions, kind of going. I, I would assume. Right. I haven't done ma- done mash shopping. I personally I think it's kind of a waste of hops. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the generally the opinion of a lot of uh, craft brewers and uh, yeah. fresh brewers. All right. Another question. Hi, um, I'm Olo from Phoenix. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, I have a question for all three of you. Um, you're well published, uh, well known on the internet. Um, well hung. Hi- no, I, I, sorry. <laughs> How do you guys uh, cope with uh, all the internet drama where people quote what you say and change what you say and <laughs> modify their arguments and say, well, Jamil said, or right. Palmer yeah. says. Right. Uh, I'd like to hear what you guys think about that. Uh, honestly, I, um, I, these days I'm too busy to uh, keep up with the forums, and so a lot of this uh, I, I'm oblivious to, so ignorance is bliss. Um, I have had a couple uh, threads, you know, emailed to me where people said, "Hey, you know, um, somebody's talking about water chemistry here." And you know, said, "You said this." Yeah, is that true? And it's like, well, no, it's nothing like anything I said. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I think that I mean one thing with the internet is that this is this big level of anonymity. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So that's something that. Um, yeah, you have to just brush it off, and I mean, obviously we, we had <laughs> arguments. I mean, that's uh, right. Well, yeah, we, you know, and it, actually, I think it was not even argument. It was you know misunderstanding, or you know, it's, it's just it's communicating through you know through emails and things like that, and I, you know, and and, and just I don't know my my sloppy uh, just mashing things together. Um, you know, my my thing about it is. I only find it annoying when uh, somebody's like, well, on this show, he says this word for word. I'm thinking, well, there's no way I said that. I'll go back and I'll listen to it. And, 
sure enough, I didn't say those words, but they got it in quotes or mentioning the time. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it makes it seem so official. Like, it's like, well, word for word, this is what he said. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, so if you want to if you want to make something up and uh, attribute it to me, that's the easiest way to, to get everybody to believe it is uh, say, well, it's on the show at this time. Nobody will bother checking. So uh, you get free reign to say, oh, well, yeah, he, yeah, that's what he said. So I don't know. The people care to, uh, to, to, to like, uh, repeat something you said? That's awesome. You know, uh, how often does that happen? So, uh, yeah, it all comes with the territory. I've got a question here from Terry Racine. What are you drinking and how is it? I don't know if this is self-serving or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now we're drinking yeah. the Bell, Bell City, City Brewers American Stout, Tony Commodore. I thought it was going to be <laughs> Terry, Terry <laughs> Racine. Yeah. Uh, and then we also had a, uh, a Bach or a Doppelbach that uh, Shad brought us. Uh, I'm not sure whose that was. That was good, too. We, we finished the uh, – or no, uh, uh, Bedrock brought it for us. Yeah, we, we finished that, and uh, that was good, too. All right, unless anybody else has questions, do you have one? Come on up up now. Don't be shy. Yep, don't be shy. These guys are... uh, I've seen you all naked. Don't worry. (laughs) Say your name and where you're from. Come right on up here. Okay. Hey, my name's Matt. I'm from Westerville, Ohio. I just wondered, you know, we know um, for me the challenge is just finding enough time to, to brew uh, with family, and I know you guys have family. Can you talk about maybe how you fit that into your schedule and still, you know, we talk about consistency and processes and how you can start to develop some consistency even when maybe your brewing schedule isn't quite so consistent? Yeah, that's tough. So, well, maybe I should uh, start. Um, sure. I actually, so one key to it is that you can kind of cut your brew day down to like five to six hours. So I mean, this is definitely po- possible. Um, I can even throw a decoction into that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that, that really helps. Well, that ha- would allow you to do actually to brew at, at night. Yeah. That's uh, so it gets, um, sometimes I, I, I go in and then while the mash is resting, I have dinner and then going on then during the loud I would put the kids to, to bed and things like mm-hmm. that and, mm-hmm. and can pitch and uh, be in bed by maybe 12, 1, 1, one o'clock the right. next morning. Right. That, that helps or just just one, like the, the, the things you can kind of stop is uh, if, you do, if you do a mash out and during the louder, you can let that word sit for, for, for a while before you then go to a boil, for example or, yeah. or once you chilled the, the word, you can still let, let, let it sit unpitched for actually a considerable amount of time given, mm-hmm. given if you, uh, that you had good san- sanitation practices, for example keep the lid closed when, mm-hmm. when you're chilling the word mm-hmm. so you don't have contaminants in, in, in there so that, that helps especially if it's a lager word right. and you, you got it in the fridge and it's sitting cold overnight actually, versus you know, sitting warm at ale temperatures, you get something yeah. down in the, in the, the 40s or 50s um, you know, bacterial action is going to be really slow at, at, at that temperature, so uh, that's a good one. I, uh, myself, um, you know, for brewing consistency, one of the things I like to do, it, and I've talked about this before, is if you can brew a whole bunch of batches, you know, one after the other every day, and you can spend a week brewing all these different batches, you really learn a lot about, you know, improving the efficiency of your brewing and consistency and things like that. It becomes... You know, second nature. When you have to, you know, brew a batch, wait two months, brew a batch, wait two months, it becomes a lot tougher. 
you know, you you spend an hour just trying to say, well, where is that piece of equipment? And, you know, trying to gather all that stuff together. So, you know, try and have all your gear in one location, have things organized. When you're done, spend the extra, you know, 15 minutes or whatever to, to, to have everything prepped for the next time and laid out in order so you're ready to go. And you'll save quite a bit of time the next time when, when you come to do it. And uh, I think that's probably a good tip as well uh palmer you got any or you just don't care about your family's uh, wants and needs when you're brewing or what well one the one thing i've noticed is that um you know if i if i'm planning on saying okay i got to squeeze in a brew session you know this weekend um keep it simple you know i've got lots of equipment i can choose from i guess when it comes to brewing let you go blickman yeah well yeah but also you know if, if i've got you know if i've got a minimum amount of time well i'm not going to do you know, recirculation. You know, or with extra hoses. Yeah, or... I'm gonna I'm gonna whip out my got cooler and you know mash in that. You know, batch barge single infusion. You know, and I'll minimize the time that I have to spend with any one process. Well, yeah, and I'll I'll tell you this as well. I think that's a good, an excellent point. That reminds me of one other thing. We are blessed with excellent extract in this country. Yep. And I would not hesitate to make some extract beer. You know, you can you can take extract, you can you can uh, steep some specialty grains, and make an excellent beer, an award-winning beer, yeah. a fantastic beer. Uh, you know, and just focus on fermentation and sanitation. And I think you know you can you can make just such a great beer. I'm curious about no boil beers to where. Less than an hour, you can have your wort ready, and you know your you, you pitch your yeast, and you know hour from start to finish. I think if we could, you know, make some great beers that way, then uh, you know that would really help. And you know, you can knock a few of those out, and you can still work on perfecting your your uh, fermentation side of things. And then you know, when you do have more time, you can do all grain. But uh, nothing wrong with uh, doing the uh, extract beer side. All right, bring those questions up to Pushy. Yep. Uh, we have a bunch of new people who just joined us. Yeah, we're, we're taking doing questions. Live John, Jamil, and Kai. Here's your chance. You're live um, on I guess we've got a serious one here. From Eric from Omaha. He wants to know, boxers, briefs, or commando? <laughs> commando. <laughs> I, li- I, like, yeah, I like the tidy whiteies. Yeah. <laughs> Like the <laughs> but, you know, which, which time of day is he talking about? That's that's really like a key <laughs> consideration. True. I think he means right now. He really wants oh, to know no. right now. Commando, right now, yeah. <laughs> oh, you think I'm kidding? <laughs> Lift up the table. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, get that get that webcam under there. Kai? Uh, boxer. Boxers. Well, I see. You know, no, I'm not gonna show. You, you know, it's not like the speedo or you know, you know Peter. Now, where's oh, Peter? Here. Is Peter here? Peter Simons, you here? All right. Well, then I can talk about him. You know, in the you know, I'm, I'm like in the back of the RV, and uh, you know, he's like, you know, it's a momentary like glimpse glimpse down the RV. He's standing there in like you know some Euro banana hammock type of thing. <laughs> You know, bright yellow, and I'm like, holy smokes! Yeah. Like Bozo the Clown. <laughs> like Bozo the Clown, yeah. Like Bozo dropped his banana or something. I don't know. It was uh, quite a sight to see. All right, so uh, 
That's our show for today. Don't forget, I want you to go down to the Blickman booth there. Say hi to those fine folks. They've paid for this show, so you don't have to. They support the Brewing Network, and if you enjoy the programming that we do, make sure you support our sponsors. Again, very thank you very much, uh, Kai yeah. Uh, yeah, Foster, for, for uh, helping us out here. I think it was a great show. I really enjoyed uh, yeah, we'll all have your you great information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we could probably do it from phone. Since we'll you're in like Massachusetts, we're in yeah. California. That's a little difficult to but, have me fly out there. But with all the love, <laughs> we, we, we can do it over the phone, I think. All right. If you get a chance, uh, stop by the Brewing Network store, thebrewingnetwork.com slash store. And you can buy yourself some books, buy yourself some uh, great uh, T-shirts like these to say Brew Strong. You can get yourself uh, hat skips. Uh, oh, nice polos if you're a little more professional with a little subtle hot grenade. Lots of good stuff on there, and uh, you can even sign up for, like, BYO Magazine, Zymergy, things like that. And all that goes to help the bottom line of the Brewing Network. And when you support us, we keep yakking into the microphones, and uh, eventually either you'll get tired of it or, or we'll become rich and famous. Yeah, tired of it is one of them I'm gambling on. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, you guys. Uh, I think a good show. Thank you, everybody here at Minneapolis. Thank you. Thanks, Minneapolis. What, what, a, what an awesome conference. What an awesome gr- group of people. We'll see you all in San Diego next year. San Diego, huh? All right. So until then, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody. Woo!